Writer-director Nir Musa Shelter grew up on cargo ships around the world before serving in the military, and his multicultural life experiences have given him a very unique insight that informs his writing, which has resulted in a multi-award-winning slate of feature and pilot films that appeal to a global audience. Now, his live-action short film, Perspectives, is based on the true story of a tense encounter between an Israeli soldier and a suspected suicide bomber. Now, in this thought-provoking film, Nir's film is not about taking sides in the Israeli-Palestinian divide, but the film serves as a poignant reminder of the influence that our own biased perspective has when forming opinions on characters. Now, after taking home the top prize and the prize for Best Screenplay at the 39th St. Kilda Film Festival, Perspectives qualified to be considered for a 2024 Academy Award. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome writer-director Nir Musa Shelter to the show. Welcome. Hello, it's good to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here because I watched your film and uh, thought-provoking, intense, so tell us about your film and what inspired you to create it. It's, like you said, a poignant moment that I thought was something worth sharing. And like all good stories, they come from your subconscious. And it took me a few years to realize there was something there that needed to be shared after the event originally happened to me um, many years ago. And when the realization came, I sat down and started writing the, the short screenplay. And by that point, I had been working in the industry for a, f- you know, for a few years and developed a few skills. And I realized that there's more to the story than meets the eye. And I think that's the indication of a good story, um, to discover those layers and themes that hide beneath the surface in the metaphors that you're, that you're uh, creating. And the journey to figure out the underlying themes began and I started writing it in 2020, 2010, 2011. um, And we finished making the film in 2022. Um, So it was a long period of time between when the original conception of the idea came about and the finished film um, was there in our hands. But part of that I think is because it took a while to figure out exactly what the story is trying to say. It took a while for the story to tell me what it's trying to say. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, it it and yeah, is. And eventually it did. Yeah. I mean, and you, you really did. I mean, you brought out uh, f- for the audience, you brought out their emotion. You brought out their thought processes, their biases uh, in this type of situation. And of course, you know, there's going to be some that look at the film trying to, to figure out to, to play it as a whodunit, but that's not really the point here. And um, do you find it uh, a remarkable coincidence that the whole world is now watching what is happening in Israel unfold, especially through the use of social media? And here's your film, uh, in a way, um, kind of ri- riding that wave, so to speak. Uh, look, you're absolutely right. In a bizarre, bizarre set of circumstances, the film qualified for the Academy Awards now when this horrific war is taking place and it's sort of now getting a lot of attention for both of those reasons. Certainly was not in any way foreseeable. You know, we couldn't have foreseen this to happen but the themes, the underlying themes have remained true whether it was 10 years ago or now it's still talking 
it's still expressing those same truths. And I think that's, again, comes back to the idea of what the metaphor, metaphors are within the story. And if they ring true, they will be, they will, if, it's, if you retain the metaphors correctly, they will be true to, for all time. In, in other words, we're still talking about some stories that were written 3,000 years ago because the, the truths in those myths and stories that were written so long ago are still true today. And I think that's the indication of a good story. So yes, in answer to your question, I do think it's a, it's a bit eerie in some ways, but it's also reinforces the ideas that are in, 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 the, in the film. And just yesterday I read an article about uh, Thierry Breton, who's, wrote, who's the head of the EU business um, commission, who wrote a massive letter to the big tech you know, Elon Musk and you know, Mark Zuckerberg effectively criticizing their capacity to control misinformation on their platforms and asking them to curb the misinformation because whatever happens right now in the war is horrible and will leave a lasting trauma for generations to come. But the opinions formed around the war are being formed right now and those opinions will last just as long. And what we're seeing online and what we're consuming online is what's going to determine um, the nature of those opinions. And you are absolutely right. I completely agree. And one of the the elements of your film that uh, brings this whole situation absolutely into our modern day society is how much social media blurs the lines of shifting points of view when it comes to current world events. So I, you know, it, it's like, Anytime something happens on the street, maybe it's happening on a bus such as your film. Everyone has a camera. Literally, everyone has a video camera in their hand that they can turn on instantly. So when things are filmed, and depending on the angle that it's filmed, what is being captured on that film, instantly a, an opinion is formed. It could be uh, a is, truthful yeah. opinion or a false opinion, just based on what the video shows. Um, is that part of what you wanted to show in your film? Is that no matter what happens, the whole world is watching? Absolutely. And that is definitely one of the major themes that came through that the idea of that bus is the bus is a metaphor for Israel because the events in the film happen on a, on a bus. The bus contains uh, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian people, and they're, both they're all traveling together on a journey. And as soon as weapons come out, everything stops. The bus hits the brakes. So that is a metaphor for what we're seeing in Israel happening right now uh, in real life. And whilst that happens, everyone on the bus has their own opinion, has their own perspective. And as a result of that, and I wanted to demonstrate that in the film, I wanted to use the medium to express the themes as well as the story. Um, and in this instance, we're seeing that play out. Everyone, like you said, has a video camera and everyone accordingly has their own perspective, literal and figurative. And we see that on the bus where everyone on the, on the bus pulls out a camera and starts filming the event and posting on social media snippets of that. Whether or not you're seeing the whole event, you'll never know. But you, what you do know is what you're seeing is directly informing your opinion um, of the event. So you've got these, this plethora of points of view of the same event and each one of them is slightly different. And that's, that's one of the points behind the film is we need to be very, very careful when we form opinions because there is a level of, level of misinformation that we are unaware of. And I think that is the greatest challenge um, you, right now. You know, that 
you are one of the few that actually brings that up. There is a level of misinformation, a level of disinformation, where we're all, in a way, we are judging a book by its cover. Mm. Um, and, you know, without choosing size, because, well, let me back up a second, because I watched your film more than once, because I'm, I'm, I'm watching intently to break down all the elements of the story and really wanting to be, it's almost like I wanted to see what it was like to be a passenger on that mm. bus. What would I be thinking? Would I be pulling out my cell phone and filming? Probably for me personally, probably not. I'm not that kind of person. But you know, when when the Israeli soldier basically armed her weapon and literally pointed it at the guy, my first thought was, if you take that shot now, you're not only going to kill him, you're going to kill the bus driver. Because I thought it was interesting as to where you placed the suspected bomber in that particular seat. Did you choose that on purpose? Absolutely, yeah. It was the idea, again, is to demonstrate a microcosm of the grander uh, backdrop. So collateral damage is an inevitable part of that. And where she, where she, where her eyeline was to him was the eyeline of the weapon, and where the suspect was sitting was directly in the line of sight of the bus driver. So, yeah, absolutely true. Yeah. But it was also too for the fact that everyone on the bus had him in their in their view, so everyone could see this guy because he's facing everyone and they're facing him. And yeah. immediately, you've already created a tense situation by where you had placed him. Because if you would have placed him in another seat facing forward, the whole narrative would have changed. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, one of the biggest challenges was to find a bus that allowed us to do that. As I discovered, I did, I'm not a bus expert, but there are two types of buses. There is intercity and inner city uh, buses. The inner city buses are what we saw in the film where you have seats opposing each other. And the intercity buses where all seats line up and face in the one direction. Those are much easier to rent. Uh, the inner city buses, however, are much more difficult and they're not even allowed to go on the rural roads where we ended up filming. So it was a bit of a, we had to find an ex-fleet bus and get it roadworthy. It was a big challenge, I can well, tell you now. Because I've talked to another film director that actually filmed, I think they filmed in a... Um, they filmed in a tram car, right? And but he filmed at night. For you, and and let's just talk about the filming aspect because uh, we're going to get back to this story. But the filming aspect, being in that enclosed space, did you have any issues of not catching the reflections of the camera crew? Oh boy, did we ever! It was uh, incredibly challenging, as you can see. Exactly what you said. Now we're literally surrounded by by windows slash mirrors. And it was one of those, one thing I did do, I, I almost make a point every time I make something, whether it's a small little web series or a short film, I always storyboard everything. And for this particular short film, I created a 3D pre-visualization animation, which I then sat with the director of photography and we planned out every single shot. Obviously we couldn't do every shot on the day, nature and the circumstances around us dictated otherwise. But because we had those uh, shots and compositions planned ahead of time, we were able to improvise around them and knew e what each shot was trying to achieve. 
And by that doing that, we're able to avoid those reflections and avoid those hot interior exteriors and, um, and tell the story in a, in a cohesive way. So yeah, it was very challenging, uh, especially with the sun changing angles every time, because we had a stretch of road. They gave us two and a half minutes of a drive. So we'd go down one direction and the sun would be shining through one angle of the bus turn around drive back the other direction the sun would be shining through the other angle of the bus so in my mind i had to edit the film and think right now i've shot something with the sun coming from this angle what can we shoot that's going to be later in the film with the sun coming from the different angle it was a bit of a challenge but yeah it was <laughs> good to be done you know i always find it a challenging filming anywhere when there's glass you know because if, if it's not yeah. the reflection you're worried about it's the changing of outdoor light and at the mm -hmm. same time if your if your camera is focused on the actual subject is not to have them get blown out you know if there's too much light coming through windows and things of that sort but yeah i understand the challenges but uh yeah. again you no one no one sees a camera crew in the reflection of the glass so you did an awesome job <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so well, relief. well, I want to get back to this story because sure. it is so vitally important for all of us mm. to, well, well, we need to judge ourselves on how we look at people. So without choosing sides, we live in a world now that is full of biased perspectives on many cultures around the world. Um, are we judging the people or are we judging the governments of those people? And that is an excellent question because it actually comes back to your to our own individual perspective. If somebody has a dislike of a certain group of people, they will judge them regardless. And even though it's the government of those people or the controlling entity of that region, whether it's a government or not, uh, that's responsible for creating the, a bad situation, people will ignore the authorities or the people in charge and they'll direct their hate at that group of people, which is unfortunate. And we see it like, look, we see it time and again. And one of the things I kept noticing over the years is that I'm not getting enough information. When I look online, I get snippets of information when I see, when I watch films, television, news feeds, social media um, um, posts, there is a lot of information, but as we said earlier, we don't actually know, we, we know a lot, but we understand very little. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, because half, I don't know, sorry, I can't put a percentage on it, but a, a portion, unfortunately, a large portion of what we see online may not be either accurate or true. And that's one of the challenges of telling fact from fiction. How do you tell fact from fiction? And that's... And we're seeing that you know, right now because... Right now. I mean, and again, your film shows up at the most poignant time in history. And what I have learned by looking online, I've learned not to believe everything that I see. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that our news media has a tendency to manufacture their shots. Yeah. Um, when, when this situation erupted a few days ago, they were showing what appeared to be buildings being bombed. And I kept looking at the buildings and going, that's not a bombing, that's a demolition. Somebody, I don't know who it was, tracked down the actual footage 
and pulled the wide shot back and showed that it was a demolition that on another rooftop was the press in that city to film the demolition mm. for the evening news. But then everybody grabs this shot and saying, oh, here, this is a bombing that's, you know, this is Israel bombing Gaza. And I'm like, that's a demolition. So we can't believe everything that we we see. But when we have shots like that, it's causing us to be, well, in a way, biased of our perspectives. Yes, which you've already proven. True. Yeah, that's it's both sides. I think both sides are manufacturing information that is misleading all of us. You know, we it, anyone who forms a firm opinion in my mind is already mistaken because you have to have a healthy degree of doubt in order to retain an, an objective um, and an educated uh, point of view on the world. Otherwise, you're never going to uh, accept new information and new knowledge. And one of the things that we did in this film was try and demonstrate and dramatize that. Um, so we use cinema cameras with cinema lenses in this film. And we also use found footage cameras and mobile phones and little sort of GoPro slash Osmo action cameras. We had a variety of cameras in there. And the idea was that these all these cameras look completely different uh, when we shot them. But then oh, we for made a them different look, perspective. Correct. But then we made them look the same. We, we made them look seamless. And in fact, taken the cinema cameras that represent fiction and we took the found footage cameras that represent fact and we made them look the same. So you can't tell fact from fiction in the film and that we're demonstrating that is what hap is happening right now online. You cannot tell fact from fiction. Oh my goodness. You are brilliant because when <laughs> I watched your film and like I said, I watched it more than once. It You're right. The footage is so seamless that you don't know when you go from a cinema camera to a smartphone or even to a GoPro type action cam. Mm. Brilliant. And to not only use that as a way to show perspective, but my gosh, it is probably the most seamless I've ever seen. Thank you. <laughs> I'm impressed. Uh <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, our colorist Daniel Party would be very happy to hear that. He he did a lot of work to make that um, make that the case. Well, you know, yeah. your film allows the audience, and I've said this before, your film allows the audience to face their own biased behavior. And I know that yeah. when people, there may be a few people that look at the film immediately and go, "Oh, Israeli Palestinian," they're automatically going to choose sides. But that's not yeah. what this film is really about. It's no. it's much larger than that. So for you, what kind of feedback have you received from those who have watched your film? Well, it's one of two options. Other people say, um, what happened in the end? You know, they question mark. They want to know because we left it on an open ending. Um, and I will put a caveat on that. We did give the main character a complete character arc within a three act story. But then at the end, we put that open ending I just wanted to keep a question mark there and put it back on the audience. What do you think happened? And the idea is then to, to raise that question in the audience's mind to force them to confront that question. The problem is that some people walk away going, what, what happened? We, we want to know. They're de dealing with the question. And the other type of audience which determined what happened. Those are the two most um, common responses. And, you know, I th I'd like to think enough people understand the point of the question mark in the end is to illustrate the fact that you don't know, and it's really up to you and your own individual preconceived notions as to what actually happened. Um, 
in the end. And and I think to some degree enough people are picking up on that now. Like yourself, like you said, you you uh, you understood from that that there's you need to engage yourself with the material you're watching it before you make that snap decision. Well, um, even when they're standing out, when when she tells him to get off the bus, and they're standing outside that bus. And she's she's trying to figure out, does he have a trigger? You know, is is it is it a remote wire? What is it? And she makes him lift his shirt. I think when he opened up his jacket and that was a tense situation because <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. OK, is there a is there a bomb? Is he wearing a bomb vest? You know, and mm-hmm. but then when she made him lift his shirt and then there was the bandage. I was like, hmm, that still leaves another point of mystery. Because it's yeah. not necessarily that he was hurt or injured or maybe trying to nurse a bruised or broken rib, but could there something else be there? Hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, multiple yeah. thoughts. Yeah, and and that's 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 perfect. That that is the point that you need to walk away thinking at the end the main character learned a lesson. Racial profiling was wrong. She, she encountered a, a situation that uh, her own perceived preconceived notion led her to accuse a, someone of something they didn't do. But then at the end, she can't relinquish her doubt. She can't relinquish her suspicion because of that last shot, last few shots where uh, we show something. I don't want to ruin the end. We, we, we show something that uh, leaves that doubt in your mind. Is there or isn't there still danger? Um, and that's exactly it. At that point, you, you're going, you'll get cut off from the narrative and you're left on your own to think. And I think the biggest compliment, I think a film as storyteller can get is when an audience member sits down and thinks about what they just saw and starts to digest. And that is very rare or becoming increasingly rare nowadays. I think. No, it's very, very rare. And this is why I'm so impressed with this year's crop of Oscar qualified films, because a majority of them are very thought provoking from, well, in a way, I guess you've stolen the word from everybody perspectives. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of coined that one there. Um, Yeah. And you know, but I'm not going to give the ending away, but it, it does cause you, I mean, well, you kind of left all of us uh, in a very tense situation. (laughs) Yeah, I think again, it's what the one thing I have heard from people that have gotten in touch, complete strangers, by the way, that I don't even know, got in touch and sent out an email to myself or to my or Kristen uh, Hodges, my producer and said, Look, I, I've got to say, I just saw your film in so and so environment. And I, I just wanted to reach out and say, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And again, it was it, it left people with that lingering thought. And I thought that is, that's perfect. That is it. That is what you want from a story. Uh, you know, as Aristotle said, you want to um, delight and enlighten in that order. You want to entertain somebody and then have the themes come through and inform them. Um, and, I, and I think to some degree we've achieved that um, with this. And again, part of it is that we have, we did bring a lot of truth to the, um, a lot of reality in mixed a lot of reality into the story uh, because one of the things I've tried to do was, and I didn't want this to be a hermetically sealed film set. I didn't want it to be, you know, by the book where everyone's performing, it had to be natural. It had to be perfectly believable yet at the same time, it's a film. 
and you have that contradiction between fact and fiction, film being fiction and believability being fact. Well, what was the casting process like? That was a very interesting one because I was on the other side of the world <laughs> casting people. And um, eventually we na- we, nailed, we narrowed it down to the right actors and Joy Riga, our fantastic lead. She's a superb actor and a super nice person. Um, she got given my the script uh, earlier on. She read it and she just outright asked to meet with me over Zoom and have a chat. And we had a chat and like within five minutes, we knew we wanted to work with each other. And she said she felt a an immediate uh, protective instinct towards her own partner in real life when she read it. And I said, that's it. That's the motivation right there because that's what's driving the main character, a protective instinct. That is her motivation. So yeah, absolutely. She nailed it. Well, you know the what? Second, you, you yeah. br- hold on one second. Because you bring something up about the uh, protective instinct because it was the look on her face when he, when, when he sat down and her partner is sitting next to her and she's, you know, she's still happy and go lucky. And all of a sudden the countenance on the soldier's face changes and immediately she went in from, well, you know, lover partner mode to soldier mode instantly. Yeah. So she didn't, you know, it's funny. She didn't, how am I going to say this? Soldiers know that when it when it's time to go into soldier mode, they go into it. And mm. she did that and she played it perfectly. Yeah, I think that's one of the things she and I spoke about was having that switch. Exactly as you put it now, she went into different mode. And I said, I want to see a different, I want to see that switch between lover mode, as you put it, and soldier mode. And she did that phenomenally well. And subtly too, because there's there's hardly any there's hardly any dialogue. Originally, the script had no no dialogue written into it, and it's only the only dialogue you hear is for the improvisation that they did on the day, and it's all through performance and composition that we were able to tell these moments where she switch switches from one mode to the other as the stakes rise. And um, yeah, you're gonna make me watch this film again because it's funny because usually I notice if a film is no dialogue. But I think the way that you filmed this story, you caused the audience to think so much that the only voices they're hearing is their own. That, yes, that is what, that was one of the exact ideas behind it. And that's why I didn't, I took all the dialogue, when I originally wrote it, I had dialogue in there, but I took all the dialogue out and I just retained the action. That's the, how the story was told in order for people to put the dialogue in their own minds. Um, but then on the day, as we were recording it, people start the, the extras, the actors started to verbalize words and lines that I was like, where is this coming from? Like, I didn't write that for you. Obviously it's coming from the moment because there was no dialogue in the script. Um, and I, I'd say one of the reasons for that is attributed to the chemistry the actors had. Um, we, we, I kind of tricked them into, uh, a, in the, in the pre-production process, I told their agents, cause these are all, by the way, really big actors in their own right. Joy, our lead, she won Tribeca's best actress in 2018 for a feature she acted in. Um, Carlos Gazuzzi, a wonderful man. He who played the man. Uh, he was one of the highlights in Fauda, which is a massive Netflix series. Kamel Bin, which is plays um, the soldier's partner has her own show now after, after this film, there was a lot happening there in terms of talent. And 
I talked to their agents. I said, guys, we have a very strict rehearsal schedule and we have to get this right. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll make sure they're ready to go. So after our hair and wardrobe um, uh, tests, I got a, a taxi. I arranged for a taxi to stand outside for us. We all got into the taxi, myself and the actors. And then it drove us to a 2,000-year-old building in the ancient city of Akko, where a bunch of hipsters gutted out the building and built a beautiful restaurant into this building. And I walked the actors in and I had arranged ahead of time for there to be a table spread out with food and beers. And we just sat down and started drinking and eating and laughing. And it was, we had just had a great time. It was a great afternoon. And that was our rehearsal. Those beers and drinks were our rehearsals. At the end of the process, Kalmel, the one, the actress who plays the um, uh, partner, dragged me aside and said, I'm on to you. I know what you're doing. And I said, is it working? And she goes, yes, it so is. And um, lo and behold, after the film was finished, they became a couple in real life. Like the chemistry you see on film on, on the film is, uh, is real. And that was the idea. We brought real chemistry, real relationships into the film. Yet it's a film. So you have that reality and fiction crap, you know, being smooched together. And again, you just don't know what's fact and fiction. And, um, well, how did you yeah. how did you cast the bomber? Were you looking for a particular look? Um, I was looking for a particular performance and something about Carlos, it just rang true. And his character in Fauda plays the son of the Palestinian territory leaders, leader who's torn between allegiances. And he's, he's got this internal conflict and Carlos has this phenomenal talent. He's such a, a good actor that he was able to in, take that internal conflict and demonstrate it through his performance. In other words, he didn't have to go over the top. He used subtlety, he used nuance, and you could understand, you could see his vulnerability and you could see his um, his um, defiance, both at the same time, and he was conflicted between the two. And I wanted that uh, vulnerability and I wanted that conflict in, this, in the film and he nailed it. Um, yeah, yeah, because and he, you, yeah, because if he played, if he played tough and standoffish from the very get-go, you'd go, yeah, He's got a bomb. But yeah. like you said, if he's vulnerable in certain areas, then then the audience doesn't really know. Yeah. But then the soldier, on the other hand, she doesn't know either. And you that's know, because exactly I know the that they're trained to look for certain signs, certain movements, and he wasn't really showing those. So in a way... He could have been or he could have not have been because yeah. his acting was so great. Exactly. And I think for me, that's good acting. A, a good actor takes the nuance and takes the minutia and uses that to perform big moments. And and when, when you do the opposite, when you take big emotions and big resp responses, physical responses, and you try and perform big moments, it, it normally back often backfires and you often get over the top moments, but no, he did it. He walked that fine line between yes, no, is he, isn't he, you just can't tell. Um, uh, yeah. And that was the, one of the, uh, again, goes back to this idea of you don't know. And that's as, ex yeah, you don't know. And through the whole film from the beginning to the end, you don't know. And of course yeah. there'll probably be people who automatically will, be biased and uh, make a judgment call on that. But if they do, they weren't watching the film very close. <laughs> Precisely. I mean, absolutely. I think 
I'd like to think enough people now have been exposed to enough um, untruths and truths on online to be able to understand that. Like it's becoming, the film, the film is becoming more and more relevant because more and more people are hopefully starting to realize that there is a bias in either direction of politics, no matter where you stand. And the more you are online, the more you are exposed to the mixture of fact and fiction. Yeah, you know, I always use an example, you know, because I, I believe now, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, between Israel and Gaza, I believe there's a wall between the two territories where decades ago there was no wall. And back in the day, you would have Palestinian children playing with Israeli children. Neither one of them didn't grow up to hate one another until either the government told them to hate one another or their parents told them to hate one another. But they were just children. They looked at each other. They didn't look at each other as being different. They were just playing with their friends. And I think a lot of people have lost that perspective today to yep. realize that what we see on the news is governments talking not the actual people you know for you know we are we've become so biased as a society that we're judging the people based on the actions of the government and that is very true yeah and we need to realize that the it doesn't matter whichever side they're all human beings you know that and I'm talking about the ones that they're not part of the army or the military. They're everyday people who were going to work or going to school, trying to live their life the best that they knew how. And you really brought this, you know, the whole perspective uh, up, you know, to the forefront. Now, for you, besides the challenge, the filming challenges, uh, filming inside of an enclosed space. Were there any challenges to filming in Israel as well as the Palestinian territories? Absolutely. It, carrying a, anything on your shoulder that's got a round, <laughs> round end or under your arm looks dangerous. Um, so I was walking through, whether it was me with the DP or me with, the, uh, with, my, with my cousin, a cousin of mine who came along very generously to help and give me his time. Uh, walking through Jewish neighborhoods in Jerusalem or the ancient city in Jerusalem, we got stopped, you know, we got mobbed by the authority because they didn't realize that this was a camera. From afar, it looked like a potential weapon. So we got stopped, got searched, IDs checked. We had, they had to make sure, look, they're doing their job. They had to make sure, and I'm, I'm not in any straight, in any, I don't hold it against anyone, you know, they, it's, they, they have to do this um, and they made sure this was safe. But yeah, we got stopped there and we were at some point not allowed to go. Certain areas said, you're not going to go there. We're not going to let you in. Like, okay, well, what about fine. the weapon? On, what about the weapon on the bus? Oh, well, that was a prop. So that was a decommissioned M16. So it had cement in that running down the, the, um, th that's, well, you know, that's a film. It's a film um, prop. Um, but at the same time, when we, so we shot the opening shot of the Wailing Wall from the Jewish side, from the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem, but then we needed to get a, a, a shot from the other side, uh, from the Palestinian side. And we actually drove into East Jerusalem, drove into the Palestinian territories and we filmed there. And we all, we got mobbed there as well. And as the mob was closing in on us, my cousin and I sort of realized, okay, it's time to pack up. So we packed up the camera, put it in the car and got elegantly out, out of there as well. 
So yeah, on both sides, we got uh, approached. Um, it's like filmmaking is never easy. I'd like to, there's an old saying, every time a film gets completed, it's a little miracle. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Instance, I've, I've heard well. the war stories, uh, no yeah. pun intended, but I've heard the stories of what it will take to get a film done. And that includes a short film. How long did it take you to film this one? It's remarkable. I t it it took, so again, I started working on the script between 2010 and 2011. We shot in 2019, as that was almost eight years of development and prep. Admittedly, on and off, it's like, it's a short film, so it's, you know, it's not a full-time job, um, but still it took that long to develop the script and raise the finances and get things to the point where you can actually make the film because it was all independently produced. It had no government support. Um, after the script had won a few awards, however, courtesy of the Writers Guild in Australia, I won. Uh, I got some development funding from Scripted Inc., which was very generous of them, and that's part of the prize package, and that helped me uh, do this. It also won a Page Gold Award, which, which also a bit of you know, a few hundred dollars there, but anything helps, you know, and that helped get the film made. There was another award, sorry, I won, and thanks to Roadmap Writers, I was able to incorporate that into the budget. So after all these awards and working for about eight years to raise the finances, we went and shot in 2019 and for three days. So it's the three days versus eight years worth of buildup. It was, it was a, yeah, pretty um, disproportionate, but feels disproportionate. But it, in reality, it's just that that's that's filmmaking. That, that is filmmaking. Well, for you, because you filmed, you filmed in Israel, you filmed yeah. in Palestinian territory. For you, what is the personal perspective when you worked in both areas and met, well, met the people of both sides? Um, for, for me, the experience was in perfectly neutral. I didn't, I didn't have a difference between meeting anyone on either side. Um, my wife and I went to visit um, Israel uh, a few years before, and I did I scout. We did, went a bit and did a few scoutings, scouting for the locations. This was would have been twenty fifteen, I think. I can't remember. And we went into the Palestinian territories. We do geocaching, and we went geocaching in the Palestinian territories. And my wife, who's Australian, uh, was completely. No, she knew of, but she was not part of the um, Israeli-Palestinian um, dynamic. And as we're walking through the this beautiful gorge in the Palestinian territories, uh, there's a whole bunch of cars coming out and a whole bunch of people popping open their doors and setting up barbecues. And as we're walking through doing our little geocaching, they're waving at us and they're having their barbecues. And it was just a beautiful day. It was a completely nice experience. And then vice versa, um, sorry, yeah, sorry, but in the same tone, we then went geocaching in Tel Aviv, same thing. We were walking down the streets or walking down the uh, beautiful um, alleys and people are just, hey, waving at us from cafes because they just did. Um, and there was no, so from, from someone like my wife's perspective, who is completely neutral in it, she didn't know the difference. From her point of view, it was just, oh yeah, these are nice people and, and these are nice people and I'm just having a nice time with both. So it was interesting to see that. And I think for some, to some degree, her neutrality brushed off on me. And I sort of took, so I took that on and kind of felt, yeah, this fundamentally is no difference between the people 
on a theological and, and, and cultural level, there's a big difference between the people, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like the old saying, one bad apple spoils a whole bunch. But unfortunately, yeah. we, need to, we need to stop judging the bunch. Just because one person does something bad doesn't mean the rest of them are the same way. Absolutely. And the, I, this film was such a fine line to walk in the edit. It, the edit went on for a very long time. Our editor, Danielle Bosenberg, was, is fantastic. And um, COVID hit as we started our post-production because we came back in 20, I came back from Israel to, to Sydney in 20, end of 2019, then 2020, you know, COVID started. So for the following two years, editing, sound mixing, color grading, it was a longer process than, than normal. But within that time, we had to walk that, we, it gave us the opportunity to walk that fine line between what you just said now, that one bad apple. How do you not present an entire group of people as bad because of one symbolic character? And that's, I think, where the fine-tuned um, fine storytelling in all crafts that were involved in this, where filming, editing, sound mixing came into play. Yeah, it was, it was not easy. Yeah. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you if you ever have the opportunity to see perspectives, you need to see it, but you need to actually watch it. Um, and I mean, beyond what your eyes see, you, you kind of need to use your intuition. You need to really allow your whole self to be a passenger on the bus yeah. and to really get this perspective. Brilliant cinematography, brilliant storytelling, brilliant editing because editing is where the whole story is put together and it really uh, becomes a life on its own. So, you know, much kudos to the editor for, for that yeah. because post-production can be a nightmare for some and to think about action cams and uh, cinema cameras and smartphones and having to edit that, uh, I would probably throw my hands up and quit. <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely a challenge and what israel and palestine are facing now i mean it's just it's so horrific it's so tremendously powerful what's happening right now in the world i can't i can't imagine what it's like to be there right now to be honest and i know that the landscape is changing faster than we can can even anticipate and that aspect of a curated version of reality from each side is now kicking in we think i think we now we're a week in and it's we're now starting to see a lot more curation happening on news feeds so it'll be interesting to see yeah it's not yeah. easy it's a very difficult time right now just to see where it ends up well you know near and ladies and gentlemen uh this is something you need to really think about if you're on social media and you're trying to keep up with the whole conflict in Israel, keep an open mind to realize that what you're seeing may not actually be true. Okay. We live in a world where the media creates the narratives to make you form, the, form an opinion or a judgment that they want you to form. Okay, they're making you form an opinion. You think you're forming the opinion on your own, and you're really not. 
So you need to be aware that, like I explained here with Nier, there is footage out there that's two to three years old that they're using as if it happened yesterday. So we have to realize that what you see may not actually be real. It's like going to the theater and watching a movie. We know it's a movie. We know it's all make-believe. But a lot of that is starting to cross over and has been crossing over into real life. So maybe some of the things you're seeing is really a movie and not really truth about what this conflict um, is about or should we know or what it's what it's kind of leading us to believe. And near, I've got to hand it to you. You did a stellar, brilliant job on this film. And not just the film, but the message that you've brought forth. We all need to truly take that inside of us. And we need to start judging ourselves. And again, we got to start judging what we actually see. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, I certainly hope that we've passed the social media's infancy stage. We're no longer in that teething period. We're now entering its, let's say, teenage years. I'd like to think people are going to start engaging with online, with what they see online in a more informed or critical manner than just taking it on, on, um, on its word. It's, I'm hoping, I'm hoping people start develop, will develop, uh, well, I, myself I have, included. You know? I, I have a little, uh, way, um, of ticking off people online, not on purpose. It's more of finding truth. When I, when I see a post that someone makes and, and they're instantly choosing sides or making a judgment call, my message back is usually, do you have a link to prove that? Mm, that's a great, that great way. They of... never answer back. So that, yeah. that tells me a lot. But I want to leave on a great note with you. So what does it mean to have your film Oscar qualified? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's making films is starts at a glacial pace. You work so hard to, to, to get the story out of your mind onto the page, develop that and finance it. It takes so long to reach that intense period of the shoot and then the, the, the painful and yet pleasurable period of uh, post-production. It, and you never know if anything's going to come of it. Like there's no guarantees and it could go nowhere. It could see nothing, nothing could come of it. It could be a huge risk and then um, nothing. But in this instance, something obviously came of it. And aside from the message that, you know, the film is trying to, um, to put out there and aside from the telling a story, which I think is fundamental to humans, there is obviously a career benefit intended behind a short film. It normally is something a writer and a director do as a calling card to, you know, show producers and executives that they can actually do what they claim um, to do. Um, and in this instance, yeah, look, being Oscar qualified means it could get shortlisted and potentially nominated. And that is a unprecedented a career uh, stepping stone at that any filmmaker uh, would uh, jump at. And I, yeah, it potentially is something that can finally um, um, help me take big steps towards a writing directing career. You never know, though, and you can you can only all you can do is keep hoping and keep creating. Well, so, does it does it make you feel a little nervous? <laughs> naturally, I think nerves are an inherent part of it. Um, hopeful, nervous, and to some degree, it kind of ratifies the efforts that you know the cast and crew and myself put into this uh, because 
like I said, we didn't know if anyone, anyone would actually get what we're trying to say when we were making the film. And I suppose to some degree, this uh, ratified that it, 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 um, yeah, I got, us... I got what it meant. <laughs> oh, great. There you go. <laughs> so I think it, it kind of on, uh, if anything, all, if all it did was tell the cast and crew guys, you did a great job and we got it. That is for my, for my money enough. I, I'm happy to have given um, all of us the opportunity to do something that we worked on together and, and then have it recognized by someone. So the potential that can come from a shortlist and nomination for the 2024 Academy Awards is fantastic. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, we've already achieved our goal um, by completing the film and having it recognized. Well, I, I love the attitude. And ladies and gentlemen, if, you, if you're not familiar with how the Oscar system works, there are numerous films. If you become Oscar qualified, that is a great, great thing. Because then what happens is the Oscar qualified list is then reduced to what they call the Oscar short list, which should be around mid to end of December and only 15 films are will make the Oscar shortlist then towards the end of January and for 2024 near uh, believe it or not the Oscar nominations will be announced on Steven Spielberg's birthday and uh, and so they go from 15 down to the five nominations so just being qualified is a very, very big deal, ladies and gentlemen. And Nir, you deserve to be Oscar qualified because it is a great body of work that you've created with a short film perspectives. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. It's very, very kind of you to say. You're very well. Hey, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing this thought-provoking film perspectives. And ladies and gentlemen, again, if you ever have the opportunity to see it, sit down and watch it. I think your perspective on life will change within a, just a few minutes. And again, Nir, I want to thank you for coming on and much success to you in the future and future films. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me. Oh, you are. And uh, whatever project you're working on in the future for film, hey, you are always welcome back on my show. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for watching. And remember, you can always catch the interviews and the replays of our cinematic interviews, not only on my YouTube channel, but also on our brand new YouTube channel, Bond on Cinema. So look that up and become a subscriber as well. And as for me, I'll see you next time.